This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You know, one of my main messages for entrepreneurs who want to start is like, stop thinking. Like, just stop thinking. I think we think way too much. I think you need to tap into the energy inside that's excited about thing that you want to bring to creation, the thing you want to birth, the business you want to start. Just focus on that energy and allow it to physically move you towards the first, second, and third step. Stop thinking. Welcome to The Real Reel, where I take you behind the Instagram reel and into the real lives of entrepreneurs, content creators, and anyone who inspires me and may inspire you too. I'm your host, Natalie Barbu, and let's get into it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Real Real Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barbu, and I am so excited to share today's episode with you. It's going to be such a good one, and I feel like this is one of the ones that I'll have a lot of people that screenshot it, say they're listening to it, and post it on Instagram because it's a podcast you want to share with others, and I'm just really, really pumped to kind of have you guys listen to this podcast. It's going to be incredible, but before we dive into the actual episode, I do want to catch you up on what's been going on in my life and I would love to do a little high and low segment. I really, really love doing these. So we're going to do it. We're going to kick it off. We're going to start with the low this week because I want to start low and then end on a high note. So I would say the low this week, it's kind of a double, it's like a high and a low, but I view it more as a low, but it is the fact that it is Wednesday and my social battery has been a hundred percent drained. I feel like I am close to burnout and it's really hard because I've never experienced like full burnout where I like can't do anything and I feel stressed and like can't get out of bed. And I've never experienced that type of burnout, but I have experienced, you know, creative ruts where I feel burnt out on social media, but this is where I feel burnt out on like just my everyday work. And it's because I've been working from like 8am to 6pm. And then I've been going out afterwards and like getting dinner with friends and I haven't been cooking and I I went to a basketball game and I just got done traveling and every single day traveling we had a ton a ton of plans and this entire week I have plans to after work and you would think it's a good thing it's like oh yeah we're socializing we're doing fun things but for me it's actually like been incredibly stressful and so I want you to know that if you are someone that's like why am I getting stressed why am why am I being negative because I'm like hanging out with people and like having a social life you're not alone. I think it's totally normal to feel that way. And for me, my social battery is almost at zero. And it really scares me because I feel like I'm getting burnt out because I've been working all day and then immediately going and having to like turn my personality on and talk to people and socialize and do things. And it's just been very, very, very draining for me. So I would say that this week, the low part is like how draining it's been. And I just feel like I've been on the entire time and I haven't had a time to rest and I haven't slept in. I haven't even gotten good sleep because I've been getting home at like 11, 11.30 and then going waking up at seven. And so I really need like my eight, nine hours of sleep every night. And so I don't know, I've just felt like kind of tired all the time. So I would say that that is my low. And I want to do a whole episode on like burnout and you know how to avoid it and things like that. But it scares me of how close I feel to it. So I'm trying to monitor it and make sure that I don't get to that point. So if if any of you feel that way, let me know. Like, please DM me so we can talk about it because I definitely feel like I am close to that burnout point. 
Also, if you hear sirens in the back, no, I'm not in New York City. It might feel that way. I don't even know if you can hear them. You probably can't, but I'm still in Miami, but yep, there are sirens right outside my window. And I would say the high of the week, so we can end on a positive note, is that I did get pre-approved for my house. So I don't have a house yet, but if you are familiar with the buying a home process, you do have to get pre-approved and like pre-qualified before you even start really like searching for homes or like putting an offer in. So I did get pre-approved. I got pre-approved for a house for $797,000, full transparency on here. I, in no world, do I want to spend that much money. I want to spend $700,000 max. Uh, that's kind of like my limit for the house that I'm trying to purchase, but it's always nice to get pre-approved for ones that are higher just in case you want to go see any. So I did get pre-approved for $797,000, but I really do not want to spend that. I mean, I'm 100% not spending $800,000 on a house but it was nice to get pre-approved for like a little bit higher of a limit. So very happy about that because now I can actually start looking at houses seriously. But again, kind of going back to my low, I feel so burnt out and I feel like I don't even have an hour of free time in my week where I'm like, when am I going to go and see these houses? Like, when can I go and actually see them? So I've been really using like the weekends for that. But the thing about Miami is that houses go in like a day. So I kind of need to be like on top of it during the week. So it's just been kind of a roller coaster and I seriously cannot believe it's March already. Like the fact that it is March is absolutely insane this year has gone by so fast. Like the fastest of any few months has been this year. I feel like last year went by fast, but this year feels like it's going by a lot faster. I don't know if it's just me and because I'm so busy or because I'm like doing things or what, or maybe because I don't have a season, like I don't have seasons anymore. Like it's hundred percent like summer all the time here. Maybe that's why, but I don't know. Has this year been going by fast for anyone else? Like, please let me know. So yeah, that is something that like it's just wild to me of how fast time has been flying. So those are my highs and lows. I would love to know yours. Every week on my Instagram, I want to do highs and lows and share them with you guys so that we can all feel like one big community. So look out for that on my Instagram story. So if you're not following me already, follow me so that you can hear everyone else's highs and lows because I think that that's a really good way to like form community and I want to be like in the know on what's going on with your life. I don't like that this is one-sided where like I tell you all about me and I don't know about you. So we're going to start that because I want to know what's going on with you. So getting into today's episode, I'm very, very excited about it. If you guys don't know, I am one of OKSIS's biggest supporters. Like I freaking love Maddie and Scout. I love Scout. I love the emotional entrepreneur. I really am just such a huge fan and advocate for her because I think what she's doing is incredible. And I think them too, like Maddie and Scout as a duo is incredible. And I recently had both of them on my podcast a few months ago, but today we are just having Scout on the pod. And I also was on her podcast, The Emotional Entrepreneur. So be sure to check that out. It comes out every Tuesday. So if you're listening to this on Monday, it'll be out tomorrow. If you're not listening to this on Monday, the episode should already be out. But Scout is incredible. She is the founder and CEO of Scout's Agency, which is a female-focused PR agency that specializes in getting women as guests on podcasts. Genius. And she does such a good job. So many of the guests that you've heard on The Real Real have come from Scout's Agency. So She's really, really incredible and she just does such a good job with her clients and just like with her agency. She's also one half of the incredible and hilarious podcast, which I'm obsessed with, which is OK Sis. And she also has her own podcast, The Emotional Entrepreneur, like I mentioned. She's also the author of The Emotional Entrepreneur. So if you want to read a book version of it, she has a book and she has 25 lessons and it's kind of like an emotional guidebook for women who want to pursue a life of purpose. That's the only thing that I 
I haven't like dove into of hers, which I need to purchase the book ASAP. And it's also beautiful. So I like want to put it on display. But yeah, she's incredible. And today we talk about both of our failed, quote unquote, I say failed because like nothing is a failure if you learn from it. Cheesy, I know, but like our failed businesses and which just proves that the journey is like so much more than what you see on the highlight reel and how you need to reframe failure as an opportunity because it's true. Like I truly, truly, truly believe it. We also talk about how like Scout wanted to write a book since she was a kid and we just dive into Scout's life, you know, her other businesses. We talk about her book. We talk about her wanting to write a book forever and how we both have that like mutual goal in life or had because she's already done it still a goal of mine I don't know when I'll do that but she's it's just so cool how she took matters into her own hands she self-published her own book she also is like one of the OG podcasters not only with OKSIS but just with like her agency she saw the power of podcasts early on. And she also talks about like pricing for clients and how she started her agency and how she grew her agency. Like to me, it's one of the most incredible stories. And today we dive into the power of vulnerability and leadership, how to conquer your limiting belief and fear when starting a business, tips to get comfortable and more confident raising your rates and how beauty is in the execution and not in the million dollar idea, which I completely resonate in. So I love this episode. I can't say more good things about Scout. She's incredible. And I am so happy for you guys to listen to this. And if you are listening to this, please screenshot it and share it on your story. I'd love to see like where you listen, who's listening. And also, if you do enjoy my podcast, please give it five-star reviews on Apple. And you can also give it a five-star rating on Spotify. So thank you for listening. And let's welcome on Scout once again to the show. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today as it should with Earnin. Earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid. Imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work, not just waiting for payday. With Earnin, you can access up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So think about it. The next time you're planning a special night out, you need a last minute gift for a loved one, or you face an unexpected expense, like maybe a trip to the vet. Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard earned cash when I need it most. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type Real Real under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz. And take it from me, I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Airs tour for like the third time. You know, the important stuff. But who actually has time for frizz? 
Introducing Way's new anti-frizz cream. It is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? It is the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 400 50 degrees, reduces and repairs split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration, and according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So you can frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code RealReal. Hello, Scout. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. Hi, beautiful. Second time appearance. Could not be more honored. I know. I don't have that many people that come on more than once. So if I have you on more than once, it's like I absolutely love the first episode. Needed to have you back on. And I feel like you're a guest that I could have on like multiple times a year. So you're always welcome on the show. <laughs> oh my gosh. You tell me when and I'm there. Perfect. Well, before we get started, you know the drill. We're starting with setting the record straight. So that's some, um, you know, stereotypes, assumptions, and then you'll let me know what you think about them. But the first one is that being an entrepreneur is the most difficult thing you've done. True. Yes. hundred percent. For sure. Sometimes I'm like, is my marriage more difficult? Not, not, not difficult. Has my marriage forced me to grow more or has entrepreneurship forced me to grow more? And I, I think entrepreneurship is more, more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think like entrepreneurship is one of those things where there's no like roadmap. Like there's no, oh my God. Okay. This is what this person did. So this is what I'm going to do next. You know, we're like, okay, this is the next step. There's nothing like that. No. Like one of my employees moved to Texas and she said, Hey, I'm moving to Texas. Like, can I still work for you? And I'm thinking like, yeah, why, why would that be an issue to be a remote? No, it's like, you have to file a business license in Texas. You have to get a new tax. It's not like, I mean, I'm doing, I I did it because I I value where my team and want her. If you're listening, I love you. Um, I'll do it again over and over for you. But the point was, was like, how was I supposed to know that? No one tells you that, you know what I mean? There's so many moments like that. It really is a learn as you go career path. So I'm something similar, not like um, someone working in another state, but we are like setting up to, you know, have payroll because really everyone is just like contractors right now. And I did not know that with payroll. And this is going to sound stupid because I think regardless if you're an entrepreneur or not, you know this. I didn't know that payroll taxes, like I didn't realize that like the business has to pay payroll taxes. And then obviously like taxes get taken out of like whoever you're getting paid, like however their payment, like taxes are taken out on both ends. And I had no idea that you had to pay payroll taxes on top of, you know, actually paying them what they are getting paid. Natalie, um, nobody knows that. And when I found that out, I literally looked up and I said, 
So I have to pay the government to employ people. Is that how this works? Like there's all that crazy shit that happens that you are just not prepared for. You just, you just know what taught you about that. But yeah, payroll tax forever and ever. I will go on the record and be very confused at the logic behind that one. Yeah. Cause I'm like, they're getting taxes taken out too. So <laughs> I'm like, it's just like double tax. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's insane. But yeah, no, no one teaches you that stuff. Like you, you unfortunately usually learn when something goes wrong or you have to, it, you know, include something that wasn't expected, et cetera. So whenever I do my budgeting, I literally leave a good amount for just, this will probably end up leaving my bank account for some reason or another that I didn't expect. Yeah. Unexpected things. Definitely. And then the next one is that you can be vulnerable and also a good leader. Yes, that is very true. It's something I do every single day. I am quite vulnerable on the internet, on Instagram, on my podcast, to my team. There's definitely moments where I asked myself if that was too vulnerable or where the line is in the workspace since I now have five full-time employees. But I think that I always come back to the fact that that is what makes me the leader that I am. And that's what makes me successful. And that's why I've been able to draw in a really beautiful female entrepreneur network, clients, community over at OKSIS, and uh, people who work for me. So yes, you can be both. And I think that being vulnerable makes you a better leader. Yeah. And I that's something that I have recently begun struggling with, with how vulnerable can I be on the internet while also raising money, trying to build a business, trying to like portray myself as, you know, CEO of Rella, founder of Rella. I'm like, can I be this like vulnerable, open person and also be taken seriously? Like it's something that I have to ask myself. And then I'm like, of course I can, but I don't, you know, it's still like a internal struggle that I have. Yeah, I think that it's definitely that line is being broken down again by women who are in business in a traditional sense and also a personal brand digitally because we're seeing us do both. Um, But it is a question I think that we all ask, but I think it's a limiting belief. I think it's an old paradigm situation. I don't think it's applicable today. I, I live with bipolar disorder and I've never ever had a client not sign with me or be turned off or anything negative happen between our relationship because I've shared that. I mean, I've shared it on sales calls, like literally I'm trying to get them to sign and I'll share it and they sign. So I think that the more we are vulnerable and the more we see that it doesn't impact our careers, but rather it enhances it. I think that will become just more of an automatic versus this major separation between church and state essentially, or this major anxiety around can I share this part of myself in this space? Of course, that we have to adhere. And it's important to know the difference between being vulnerable with your friend and being vulnerable with your employee. But I think that the human side of things is what creates company culture. And it's what creates a movement and community behind what you're, what you're offering. Mm-hmm, totally. And I definitely need to remind myself that because I feel like for so long, we've just been placed in buckets like business leader okay, influencer, uh, stay-at-home mom, whatever it is, you know, you get placed in these buckets and you can be multiple things at the same exact time and you don't have to, you know, limit yourself to one of them. Yep, amen, amen. And the next one is that every entrepreneur has imposter syndrome. Mm, No, no, Um, I don't have imposter syndrome. I've had moments where I have felt 
like an imposter, but they are extremely fleeting and do not make up any sort of chunk of my entrepreneurial existence that I would even give attention to. So I think that imposter syndrome, especially naming it like that, I don't know if it's crawled more into the lives of entrepreneurs because it's talked about so much or if talking about it alleviates it. I'm not sure. I I haven't figured that out, but no, I do not believe all entrepreneurs have imposter syndrome because I don't have imposter syndrome. So whenever you get like moments of like self-doubt or anything, how do you kind of talk yourself out of that? Or what do you do to kind of realize that you are the person for this role? You are like capable of what you're doing. You know, self-doubt is not entirely in my human experience. I would say, am I making the right decision? And everything I've ever done, I've always figured it out myself. I've never had credentials. I'm a college dropout. I've never worked a real job. I've never worked in a PR agency. I think I have a lot of naive audacity when I go into things, which thank God it served me well. I can imagine it not serving some people well, but I've always been like, well, I'll figure it out. And if I can't figure out that I'll deal with it then. So in many ways, when you were on my podcast, you said, when I invested in Rella, I had confidence that I would work out. I think I just have confidence in my ability to figure it out at all times and all steps of the way. And I think I thrive in the figuring it out. I think I thrive in the building of businesses, which is why I get very bored and create new offers and new products and new services all the time. Because I I strive in that. I don't know how this works and we're going to figure it out and make it our own and make it successful. So, you know, in moments of self-doubt, I suppose, and I I always struggle with this because I don't know if I'm 100% the right person to, to give advice here, but I think it's just coming back to the evidence of where you've been able to follow through with something that you didn't know if you were able to follow through or evidence of areas you've been successful, evidence of why you are the right person for that job and understanding that we all to some degree do not know what we're doing um, unless you are a brain surgeon. And even then they have to make quick judgment calls where they might not know what they're doing. Um, Most of our jobs are subjective and most of our jobs today are created in the last 10 plus years. And so very similar to how entrepreneurship doesn't have a manual. I think a lot of what we do doesn't have a manual, which you can choose to look at that as daunting and um, as evidence that you're not fit, or you can choose to look at that as evidence that you get to pioneer a new frontier and you get to create your own stamp of approval or your own vibe around it, whatever you want to call it. So self-doubt is something that is similar to fear in that it will block you from moving forward. So if self if self-doubt is getting in the way, I would ask yourself, which is what I tell people to ask themselves, if fear is getting in the way, what has your self-doubt robbed you of creating? Where has your self-doubt closed doors? Where has your self-doubt shut down the energy and the potential current of success? And then you make a choice, you know, do you want to continue in self-doubt and playing small? Or do you want to move through that discomfort and see what's on the other end of the door? Mm-hmm. And I love how you say like move through that discomfort because I know we talked about that a lot on your podcast where, you know, you have to anticipate that it's going to come and it's going to be uncomfortable and you still have to go through it anyways. And I think, you know, it's mm-hmm. easy to think like if everything's going great, then that means things are great, you know, and like if things are going bad, then that means it's bad and it's going to fail. And I think getting rid of that and stop glamorizing anything. Like, honestly, I don't think anything should be glamorized. Like, entrepreneurship should not be glamorized. 
working for yourself should not be glamorized. Like there's hardships with everything. Like you said, everything has like a shit sandwich. Is that the expression? (laughs) But you just choose it. But I also think what stops a lot of people from like doing things is one, like the fear of starting, but also the not knowing. Like it's like, well, I don't know what to do. You know, it's like, I don't know the first step and I don't, I don't even know how to begin. And I know you said that you're kind of, you know, you jump right in and you figure it out along the way. So how do you get yourself to do that without actually like knowing what the next step is? Like, how do you figure out that next step? Do you have a process for that? You know what? I think that's a lie. I think it's a lie that we tell ourselves that we don't know the next step. Have you heard of Instagram? Get an account. There's your next step. Have you heard of a domain name and a website? Get a fucking domain name and a website. There's your next step. The idea that we don't know the next steps, I think is complete bullshit. I really do. Like, I'll just call it right now. You know, five to 10 steps that you can take to inch towards whatever it is you want to do. You might not know, you know, the bulk of it. You might not know the end result of it. You might not know the exact procedure you got to go towards, but you know, the next couple first steps, it's very obvious. It's calling someone, you know, who's in that industry. It's telling someone about it. It's getting the Instagram handle. It's coming up with a font on Canva that you like for the logo. It's listening to podcasts of people who are working in your space. You can start taking notes. So the idea that people don't know the next step is, is, a, is, is an excuse, in my opinion. It's a defense mechanism. So if you are saying that to yourself, the only way to know the next step is to take one step and then the next one will reveal itself. And the only way you really end up knowing what the steps are is once you've done something so many times that you master it and move on to the next thing. So Everything we do in life, we technically have never done before. Every day we wake up and it's a new day and we're doing new things. As much as we try to control the predictability of our life, routines and rituals, et cetera, give yourself a little more credit, I think. I think you do a lot of things you don't know how to do. And so I think I'm ready to leave that that sentence behind. And I invite anyone who's been saying it to leave it behind. And this just came to me. I've never thought about that sentence until now, really. But I, I think it's time to to stop using that one because I think it's a barrier. A hundred percent. Like I've never heard it said that way. But for me, like whenever mm-hmm. people would ask me questions like, how do I start a YouTube channel? Let's say it's like, well, you start by posting a camera, <laughs> you know, like you start by filming and posting, but that's not what you're asking me. You're asking like, how to get over that fear of starting because you know yes. how to start. So yes. I've never heard it said that way before though, but now, and I'm going to start using that or like Google, you know, like any business now, like anything you want to do. I get a little tough lovey sometimes when I talk about, and and I, I think that I am, uh, I have two sides of me. I'm very empathetic and supportive and loving and genuine person. And then I'm also can be a little bit of, of an asshole in kind of calling out the truth in a tough love way. And I think that Today, we live in an age where you can literally learn from the best because the best are on podcasts. You can buy a $15 book or get it from the library and get your PhD in whatever it is you want to get. And so whenever you come up with something that seems like a roadblock, like I don't know how to do it, or I don't have the funds, or I don't have the time, those are limiting beliefs and lies. And you get to choose whether you want to believe them or if you want to figure out a way. And I believe the successful entrepreneurs are ones that every single day hit a roadblock and find a way around a hundred percent and like even so so I'm going I feel like I've said this like five times but going through the fundraising process I did not know a single investor I did not know what venture capital even was like I think I, I just never immersed myself in that space so like 
I honestly didn't know like the companies that fundraise. What did that mean? What is a valuation? What like what does it mean when they get equity for investing? Like I really didn't know anything. I didn't know any of the terms. I didn't know a single investor in my life, like no one at all. And I didn't know anyone who had started a company and raised money either in my personal life. Mm-hmm. I had podcasts though. So I learned a lot from that. I started listening to, you know, YC's podcasts and like listening to other podcasts of like startup founders. I started Googling things. And then in terms of like, oh, I don't know these people. I just started reaching out and emailing them. Like, even if I didn't know them, like, it's so easy to find people's emails. It's like, you just find their name, what company they work for, go to Rocket Reach and figure out their email format and you can email them. And if you don't get a bounce back, great, it works. So I think even like things like that, like even if you don't know people, you can get to know people and you can build your network even if you don't have one because the internet is like very accessible nowadays. Yeah, if you need a network, start a podcast and have them as guests. You will build the fastest network you've ever built and you will... Uh, that network will be fucking quality of women, men, whoever you interview that you never thought you'd be able to talk to. Like, people are sleeping on the ROI of a podcast being strictly networking versus community building or ad revenue building, whatever you want to call it. Networking on a podcast is insane. I mean, look at me and Matt. It's me and Matt's literally put ourselves in this world by starting a podcast, me and my sister before OK says, like, I didn't have a career that was like great. I didn't have a personal brand. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And because I started a podcast, I now have that network. So there's so many ways like that where you put in the work. I remember I guessed a huge, huge client's email. I literally guessed it. And it was right. And she answered me. I know, like, honestly, figuring out emails is like an artwork, but like, it's not that hard oh, to do. So good. You can figure so it out. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, yeah. And I also like with podcasting, you have 45 minutes of their undisturbed time. Like, they are listening to you, you are hearing their story. People love to talk about themselves. So, like, you are just asking them the right questions. They're, they're getting to know you. You're getting to know them. Like they they won't forget that you went on their podcast, you know, versus, Hey, can I like talk to you for 15 minutes randomly? And they do that to so many people probably, or they might not because what's in it for them versus like a podcast. You know, I feel like you have like undisrupted time with someone that could be considered your idol. Yeah. I feel like that's the next, that's the move on, on things. Like I, I, I get, careful about the way I talk about this, but the whole like, hey, can I jump on a call and pick your brain situation is something that I'm so incredibly against. If I said yes to all those questions, I don't think I'd run a business. I don't think I have a podcast. Like there's no way I can do both. And so in anything, if you want to talk to somebody, if you want to have someone a part of your network, if you want to get yourself in the room with investors, et cetera, like what legwork can you do behind the scenes that can provide value to them? And I believe having a podcast is the simplest way to do it, right? Because sometimes if you want to talk to one person, you have to figure out, okay, well, how can I add value? And then it's a little, it's not clear. You might not get, you might not get through them, but having a podcast gives you the capability to invite so many people on and really talk to the experts in their field. So in my opinion, if you don't know what to do, or if you don't know how to get to the right people, or if you don't know how to make a reputation and a name for yourself in a space, start a podcast. Don't care about the revenue you make. Don't worry about that shit. Just worry about who you're getting on as a guest. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's such good advice. And I know that you are obviously very big into podcasts. Not only you have one, you have two actually. 
okay, sis, mm-hmm. and then the emotional entrepreneur, but you have your podcast agency. What were you doing before you even started a podcast? Was podcasting like on your mind to like start a podcast agency and then you started the podcast? Like which one came first? What were you doing before then? So I, I did a bunch of things before. So I found entrepreneurship at the age of 22 and um, it was a magazine. I started a magazine and we had a three issue run. We had Halsey on the cover for our third issue and Barnes and Noble emailed me and said, can we carry your magazine in all of our locations? And I was coming from being a college dropout, having been locked up in the psychiatric wing for my bipolar disorder and really in a rough place where I couldn't even hold a minimum wage job. And I had this idea to start a magazine and suddenly my life totally flourished and opened. And that's when I got the, uh, the, what's it called? The evidence that I could be successful through this arena. So I did the magazine, sold the company, started uh, building out a digital media site, pivoted that into, I created a blog and then I was just lost. Like I was in my mid twenties and I was lost. I was blogging, but that wasn't really feeling good to me. But I lived next door to a wholesale produce store, which is really random. The San Diego restaurant chefs would come in and get their produce there. And so I shopped there because they gave the neighbors like 20% off or something. Uh, became friends with all the girls who would, you know, ring me up at the end. And they opened up a podcast studio in the wholesale produce store because they wanted to become like a media center for the food hub of San Diego. It was so random. Okay? So and- random. <laughs> so random. And I just asked, I was like, people were starting to talk about podcasting. This was five years ago. And I asked, I said, Hey, can I get in there? And they're like, yeah, we don't know what we're doing. So we'll produce your show for free. I was like, okay. So I actually had a podcast before. Okay. Says, and then, um, but I wasn't treating it like a business. And I really believe that I wasn't because other people were doing the work for me. And I really, really believe that when you are an entrepreneur and starting a business, you should do as much as you can yourself in the beginning, because It creates ties. You understand your business. You know what's going on. So I believe that because it wasn't 100% on me, I wasn't treating it like a business. And that's what led me to being with my sister on her birthday. We had some rosé, massages, et cetera. And I didn't have an episode. So I recorded with her on my phone and the energy between us was electric. And so I stopped that podcast, started Sis in August, 2018, recognized the power of being a podcast guest. And uh, started my agency six months later, February 2019, three years ago. So you were in the podcast world, though, I think before it became very popular, like before everyone started a podcast and before, you know, it was like the thing to do. So when you first started your agency, did you have trouble convincing people that podcasting was a good investment? You know what? No, because my prices were so goddamn cheap and um, I was on month to month retainers. Like in the beginning, I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't, again, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a business plan. I was someone who really just had an idea and dips my toes in and see if it would work. If I wanted to keep going, I started a social media agency, like all this stuff. So for me, it wasn't really that much different. I was like, let's see if this works. Um, I had never been able to really monetize on my past entrepreneurial endeavors to the point of financially supporting myself. And so that was really top of mind. I was like, I just want to start a business that actually makes money. And so when I started it, I just went for the volume. I really see business. There is the energetic and the spiritual and emotional side, which helps me expand significantly. But there's also a number side of like, what you put out, you get back in. So like the more you pitch, the more you're going to get chances you're going to get back. So I first went after podcasters because I knew that they knew the space. I was in the space. I felt like the trust would be there. 
So I emailed a thousand podcasters day one, started an agency with my media kit, a thousand. Gmail blocked my email. I opened up a second email address. I had <laughs> email addresses for years, a shit show. But in the beginning, I got people in the door because my prices were stupid cheap and I was on month to month. So there really wasn't so much of a risk on their end. And then I would just show up and then some to create a good reputation in the space. And then slowly by slowly, I started increasing my prices and, you know, six to eight months in, I could really tell that this service of getting women as guests on podcasts was fruitful for their business. So I just kind of ran with it. I mean, back then, to be honest, I thought that the podcast space was already pretty filled. Like Mads almost didn't start a pieces because she thought it was saturated, which is wild. (laughs) She's like, we're not starting a podcast. Like everyone starts podcasts. Like not really back then. So you know, yeah, I think for me, the evidence was in the fact that I was able to quit my day job in four months and then I've been able to scale it pretty significantly. But even today I get on calls with clients and I have to be like, no, you don't get it. Like podcasting is where you want to invest your money in. So it's starting, I think in the next year going to be the most automatic thing, but I like to like to take a little bit of credit for the fact that I started that uh, marketing strategy for people. Oh, a hundred percent. And also I know that you mentioned like raising your prices and you were super cheap at first. I think a lot of freelancers, business owners, anyone that works for themselves has a really hard time raising prices. And did you ever struggle with that thinking like, oh my God, am I worth more? How are my clients going to feel if I raise my prices? Because I don't deal with that anymore because I don't do anything in that space where I need to raise my prices. But I mean, besides like social media, but I have, you know, my manager that deals with that. So how do you feel though with like being like, okay, thanks for trusting me in the beginning, but now I'm bumping it up. Such a good question. You know, raising prices is something that is every agency owner struggles with, any service provider struggles with, because there's all these emotions and thoughts of scarcity and fear that come up that says, if I increase my prices, everyone's going to go and no one's going to pay that. Every single time I've thought that, I increase my prices and people pay it. I've never had a point in my business where people aren't signing because of the price. I believe you have to be comfortable yourself with the prices, with the incremental increases. So you can't go from like running something for $1,000 a month to $10,000 a month in two right. months. Like that's not going to make sense in your mind. And therefore it's not going to make sense of your heart and your soul and your gut and your confidence. And so you're not going to sell that properly, right? So I believe in incremental raising your prices to test it out, to calm the waters, to test the market, et cetera. But there's never been a point where I've raised my prices. And every time I raise my prices, I say to myself, no one will ever pay more for a podcast. No one will ever pay more than this. And what am I doing this week? I'm raising my prices, you know, and they continue to pay. And so I think it's getting enough self-confidence in the level that you're playing at right now. So, I mean, I can be really honest with you. In the beginning, I started podcast tours were like 500 or 600 bucks a month on a month to month. And now our next pricing, our our current pricing is $4,000 a month for a four month contract. And so I didn't go from 500 to 4,000. I went from 500 to 800 to 1,000 to 1,500 to 2,500 to three to four that I continuously raise. And if you have a client who is re-signing, I don't necessarily immediately raise rates for clients who signed on at another rate, especially because my contracts are four months. And so I'm happy to extend the old pricing to a client who's already signing on if they want to re-sign with us. Um, But past two tours, then I'd have to increase it. But you don't have to like tell all your current clients like, okay, 50% upsell starting tomorrow. 
there's ways to do it as time moves on. But I think the way to believe in yourself the most and believe in your new pricing is to raise it incrementally, quickly over time so that you can feel confident in your value added at that price point and you'll get better. And so therefore you feel better about raising your prices next, but there will be a voice that tells you that no one will pay. And I swear to God, people will pay. (laughs) Well, also that must build your confidence too when you do raise your prices and they come back and you actually get more customers and you fill up and it's like, oh, no, I really do know what I'm doing. And I should have done this a long time ago. And, you know, like, I think that that builds confidence too. When you do something like that, that you were scared or you didn't think was the right move. And then it rewards you in the end. Yeah. And if you don't make that move, you stay stagnant. You never grow. You're never able to add more support and resources to your services, et cetera. So it's, it's a part of the game. It's necessary. It's empowering. It's scary. And I promise you that people pay your increased pricing. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I also want to talk about your book because you did write a book recently and that is a life goal of mine. One day I would love to write a book. When I was younger, I wanted to be an author and I would write like these like little novel like chapter books and like present them to my parents. And and I would, at our elementary school, we had like a publishing center, which I wish every single elementary school did this because I think it really like makes kids creative and like dream big. But we had like a book publishing center where you could publish a book at school and it was, you could like draw in it and like write oh, like the colors. Yeah. And like, they'd like put it up in the library for like other people to read and then you could take it home, like give it to your parents. It was like a binded like book. And so that was like something that our elementary school offered. And since then, like I always was like, oh my God, I want to be an author. Like I love writing. That obviously quickly passed. Like that's no longer like my dream career, but I do want to write a book one day. And so how did you get started in that process? Did someone come to you and approach you or were you like, no, I'm going to do this on my own? And then how did you even begin writing it? Like, what was that like? So being an author was my first career goal as a little child too. I did the exact same thing. And it's been something that's been sitting with me every single year of my life. It's the only thing I never jumped into immediately. I jumped into all my other ideas immediately because I just felt as if writing a book has to have the right timing. Like you have to have lived a certain amount of experience to know what to write about, right? So mm-hmm. um, to be honest, like I really think that the reason, and this is so sad to say, or I don't know, maybe it's not sad, you'd be the judge. But the reason I decided to write The Emotional Entrepreneur, um, I wrote it, I decided to, but I was ready to write my book around September 2020. And I genuinely think that the reason it came into my head that year was because during the pandemic, the first week, there was that graphic that said, you don't have to write the best-selling novel during this quarantine. And me and Maddie debated it on OKSIS. And Maddie was like, that made me feel so much better. But I was like, you, I'm going to do what I want. Don't tell me not to write a best-selling novel. I fucking will write a best-selling novel. So I honestly, I honestly feel as if that kind of put into my subconscious and that's where it like came out of, to be honest. But when I started writing, I hired Rhea from Rightway. She owns this incredible company that helps you write your book proposal and find a lit agent. She does a lot of other parts of the publishing journey. And we wrote the book proposal. I didn't know that it was going to be the emotional entrepreneur. I told her I wanted to write a memoir and she said, she didn't use these words, but this is how I (laughs) interpret it. She's like, you and everyone else wants to write a memoir. No one wants to read your memoir. You're not 65 years old and like a Grammy award winning person at this point. So I was like, you know what? That's a good point. 
Um, so I kind of just used what I was good at. Like I know I've written my whole life and I'm really good at writing short pieces. I, I'm not great at long form writing. So I knew that the book had to have short chapters. And so I knew it was going to be nonfiction. And at the second token, I didn't want to write a book that was super in depth on one thing. I really felt as if my first book was going to be a general support in any arena. And so we sort of started um, playing with the two things that really make up my life, mental health and entrepreneurship. And I was already at that point speaking about the intersection of mental health and entrepreneurship on my podcast. It wasn't called the Emotional Entrepreneur Podcast by then. It was just called Scout Podcast. And so this idea of mental health and entrepreneur intersection was kind of the thing that kept coming up. So we decided that it would be 25 emotional lessons to get you through entrepreneurship. And I came up with the name, The Emotional Entrepreneur. And once I did, I had like a visceral reaction. It was like, this is it. This is the brand. This is the movement. This is bigger than anything that I could even conceive. And we started sending it out to lit agents. And you send out your book proposal to lit agents. You took them like three months to get back. And long story short, three months in, we only sent it to five. Four said no, but three were like, this is really great, but I'm working with someone that it would be a conflict of interest. And I just kind of sat there, you know, a lot of my clients come to me because their book publisher doesn't do the marketing. So people think that when you get a traditional book deal, the book publisher markets your book. They don't do that. Mm -hmm. The book publisher edits it and prints it and puts it on Barnes and Noble shelves. Like that's it. Like you have to put in your own marketing budget. And I saw my clients putting in large amounts of marketing budgets to market their books. So I was like, what the fuck is going on here? What do they do? And yeah. you only make a dollar a book. You only make a dollar a book basically off church. So anyways, I'm sitting here and I'm like, this process could take three to four years before I get book published. And I said to myself, what's the benefit here of waiting that long? And I said, it's really just the credibility of having a big publisher. Like That's really it. I'll make less money. I'll have to put in my own money anyways. And I have to wait all these years. And so I felt as if the book of the emotional entrepreneur was ready to be written and and out there in the world. And so I made the decision only three months into the process to not go that route, self-publish. And I said that to myself and I said, in six months, this book will be written, launched and out there in the world. That was February, 2021. And August 16th, 2021, I launched my book. That's incredible. And I I love that you just did it because I think kind of what we were talking about earlier, people don't know what to do. It's like, well, I don't know how to publish my book or I don't know, you know, like the first step to writing that or, you know, do people want to see this or what do I do? You know, like there's so much doubt and hesitation and most people would wait the three to four years and then might even end up not publishing it then. And, you know, it's like you just wasted your time and energy and you also aren't building confidence because you're not doing what you said that you would do. And so I think that that's so awesome that you just go for it and you do it and you realize that you can. And I think that's where me and you are similar, where it's like, I don't really second guess myself that much in terms Mm -hmm. of like starting things. Like Mm -hmm. whenever I decide to start something, I don't think about all the reasons that are against me or why I shouldn't or why like, I'm not qualified. I really go for it, figure it out. And then in the process, I definitely have like moments where I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? (laughs) But starting it, I think that I am like very good at just like impulsive, like jumping right in and doing it. Yeah. You know, one of my main messages for entrepreneurs who want to start is like, stop thinking, like just stop thinking. 
I think we think way too much. I think you need to tap into the energy inside that's excited about the thing that you want to bring into creation, the thing you want to birth, the business you want to start. Just focus on that energy and allow it to physically move you towards the first, second, and third step. Stop thinking. Literally, when I start something, I don't think. I thought very little about starting Scouts Agency, literally very little about what it would be like if I even wanted to have clients, whatever. I believe that we get to trust our desires and our urges and our excitement. And I don't think you need to rationally justify why you desire something. I think that you get to at least tap into it and try it on. And so I believe it's kind of why I hate million dollar ideas. Like everyone's like, oh, I have $4 million ideas. I'm like you and everyone and their mother, like a million dollar idea does not impress me in the slightest. Like to me, it's actually a turnoff. If you just have an idea, the beauty is in the execution period. It's always in the execution. And so I think that we should all just stop thinking and start executing a little more. I completely, completely agree. I always say that like the best advice when people are like, what's the best advice? I'm like, just do it. Like just start, you'll figure it out because any other advice doesn't matter if you don't execute. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. You could sit for like 40 years on the same idea. It's, it's, and million dollar ideas that technically are million dollar ideas, if executed poorly, will never be million dollar ideas. But shitty ideas executed properly become million dollar businesses all the time. So exactly, exactly. And I know that also like you jump right in, you do, you start businesses, you started your entrepreneurship journey years ago, but have you ever started something and then realized that it wasn't for you or started something and like it failed? Like, have you ever had any of those moments? Yeah, everything before Scouts Agency. Um, my blog failed, if you want to call it that. Um, for for the sake of the conversation, I'll use that word, but I don't actually like really believe anything of mine ever failed. But um, my blog failed. I started a social media agency with a friend. We ended that in two months. Um, I couldn't figure out how to make money off my magazine that was being sold across the country. That didn't work. Um my first podcast didn't work, right? So yeah, like everything I've done except Scout's agency for the most part and an okay sis, but and my book, but like Scout's agency is probably the biggest finance is the biggest financial business success I've found. Everything that I did prior to okay sis did not work. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important to highlight those things because people see, you know, the highlight reel and they see the success stories. And then they think like when they're in it and if something's not working, it's like, oh my God, I'm a failure. I am like not good at this when you just haven't found the right thing. And everyone goes through that. Like there's so many things that I've done that like, it's just like that didn't work and that's okay. And like, I like, I had an online store. I did try like the freelance agency thing for a little bit. I had, you know, like all of those things did not work. And that's okay. And it's okay to share it and be like, oh yeah, I tried, but like, wasn't for me. And now on yeah. to the next thing and you learn lessons for the next thing. Yeah. When I started Scouts Agency, I had a full-time job and I was doing okay sex. And my husband and my dad were like, you don't have time for this. Like, what are you doing? Another thing? Like, it's like DJ Khaled, another one. Like, it's literally <laughs> me all the time. Like, they were exhausted. They were like, what now are you going to start? It's not going to go anywhere. And I was like, shut the fuck up. We're doing this. And I did it and it worked. But I don't think Scouts Agency would have worked if I hadn't done five to eight other things prior that weren't for me. It's not that they failed or they didn't work. 
I invite you to reframe it as like, that wasn't for me. That wasn't my path. That wasn't my highest passion. That wasn't my highest life course. And life did you a major favor by pointing you the other direction. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. And before we go, I wanted to ask you, what is your favorite quote from your book? Oh, wow. Hello. Okay. I can say my two favorite like lessons, they're chapter titles, or one of them is a chapter title. Uh, get an ROI on your pain. And then the second one would be you are safe in your emotions. I think that those two encapsulate for me the emotional entrepreneurship journey. Like make sure that when you are in pain, it's because you are growing and you are challenging yourself and you're expanding and you're not constricting and playing small and doing things out of integrity and alignment. So make sure that you get the beauty past pain, pain like growing pains essentially. And then throughout the process, just to always know that you're safe in your emotions. I think those two concepts, quotes, sentences are things that always come back to me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Scout. I love having you on my podcast. We need to do this again. Like maybe we'll have this like a yearly thing where you're like a recurring guest. Because oh my God, down, honored. I would love it. Perfect. But where can they find you? Where can they find your podcast? And also where can they find and hear about Scouts Agency if they want to, you know, learn more about it? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Scouts Well, It's the best place. Uh, in my bio, there's links to uh, buy the emotional entrepreneur, my book, go to Scouts Agency, listen to Oasis podcast. Everything's at the link in my bio, um, my email, discovery and day form, all of that's there. And then you can find my book on Amazon, The Emotional Entrepreneur, and you can listen to my podcast, Me Solo, uh, The Emotional Entrepreneur Podcast. But if you prefer to have my silly sister involved, you can listen to OPS's podcast. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Real Real. I hope that you enjoyed and don't forget to rate, review, follow, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow me personally on Instagram at Natalie Barbu and the podcast at The Real Real Podcast. I'll see you next Monday. Hey there, my name is Renee Rena, and I am the mom friend you have always wanted. I am also the host of the Mom Room Podcast. We publish two episodes per week, a co-hosted episode on Tuesdays and a solo episode on Thursdays. Popular topics include pooping and having sex after giving birth. I have a solo episode where I talk about not sharing a bed with my husband and why that's okay. I hope you'll tune in to these conversations every week. Join us on Instagram at the mom room podcast and start to feel a little less alone in this crazy thing called motherhood. Hey, my name is Lovon Roomf and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here. And vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then. <laughs>